freedom and censorship can't exist in the same world. And that's true whether it's the government or private corporations who do the censoring. Hi, I'm Ron Coleman, and welcome to the Coleman Nation podcast. It's a show where I sit down with guests to discuss the future of free expression and thought in our interconnected world. Here, we will focus on issues involving social media, cancel culture, and free expression that everybody who cares about ideas or freedom should be wrestling with. Well, shortly before we went on this recording thingy that we do with recording the talking, my producer, Jeremy Corr, the lovely and talented Jeremy Corr, said, Ron, you think you've got a favorite podcast? And I'm, I'm bad at this. I'm not even sure I've got a favorite ice cream because I'm, you know, I'm so content with life. But I have got a feeling I'm about to do my favorite podcast. Our guest is Michael Malice, my friend, my ideological adversary in many respects, and my ideological ally, ally in many more, and the hardest working man in show business. Michael Malice, thank you for coming onto the Coleman Nation podcast. I always do like to think of myself as an ideological alley. <laughs> I once walked down one of those ideological alleys. Actually, it was pretty close to where your studio is located. And when I came out, I identified as a completely different kind of man. I did, and then I watched my parents get shot, so I decided to dress like a bat. Boy, we are moving fast here. We are moving fast. Michael Malice, first of all, you sent me this. No, you didn't send it to me. I had to buy it because I, I had to read it. Michael Malice just put out a book, which he didn't write. <laughs> Which is unusual because you've put out so many books that you did write that your name wasn't on. No, my name's on all my books. Didn't you work as a ghostwriter? Co-author. My name's on the covers, baby. So be that as it may, I want you to tell I want you to tell the listeners about the book. Michael Malice put out a collection of essays, The Anarchist Handbook about how he became so twisted and demented and hateful of humanity, and yet so trusting in their ability to govern themselves, probably because he's wiry and, and I bet you run pretty fast, Michael. Cardio kills gains. No, God, no. Oh, really? Yeah, that's, you don't want to do cardio to that level. No, 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 no. I, I, I would get out of breath very quickly. It's all about vanity, not about health. Oh, okay. Therefore... You're in favor of anarchy. Well, I'm reading this book yeah. because there was a reason I had to read this book. And well, we could get into your involvement, I mean, I guess. Oh, we can, I guess. Sure, sure. So uh, Michael asked me to, to voice, to be the voice of one of, his, one of his chosen essays. It's a series of essays of the predominant voices of anarchy going back a couple hundred years yeah. of, the, of, the, of, the, of the, the philosophy of, of anarchy. Yeah. And it's fascinating. And, uh, you know, it, what, what I found f interesting was uh, your blurb on the book, which was actually taken from your introduction. I mean, I found a lot of it fascinating, including the fact that I had to talk for two hours. You chose to talk for two hours. Anarchism is voluntary. <laughs> <laughs> a, a good lawyer would have got it done in 90 minutes. <laughs> <laughs> A good lawyer wouldn't have done it for free, yeah. okay? <laughs> so, much less bought the freaking book. 
Um, so I'll send you, you a hardcover. Up... We're gonna we're doing. Oh, now we're talking. Now we're talking. We're doing signed, numbered hardcovers, and you're absolutely uh... getting one for free. And my understanding is, we get in the court right now. I think we're gonna have a lenticular cover. And for those who don't know what a lenticular cover is, it's it's one of those three D covers that when you move it, the picture moves. And it will be a picture of me, Ron Coleman. <laughs> so that's an extra bonus. What Michael says in the introduction, which he uses for the word by the book, is this. Freedom. This is all about freedom. Michael, here we are in something that is definitely not a free moment in American history. Do you think we've ever been less free since the founding of the Republic in 1776 than we are now? Oh, certainly. During World War One, during World War Two, the Civil War, uh, because of the degree of censorship. No, because I mean, you're if you're being drafted, you can't really, you know, being fought to, forced to fight for the state, you're not free. Uh, you, oh, when, so Vietnam too, then? Well, Vietnam wasn't as pervasive of a draft uh, because, for example, World War One, World War Two. Not only was everyone draft, were so many people uh, uh, drafted, although largely voluntary in World War Two to fight, but everyone left at home was basically working for the war effort, and you had a complete uh, kind of quasi-totalitarian system, which you can very easily argue, and I think uh, persuasively, that this was necessary you know, for these situations. But you can't really make the case that when virtually 100% of the economy is being, and this rationing is being planned by Washington, that you're free. And certainly, you're, you're less free then than you are now. Is a state of war, declared war, an appropriate occasion then for the suspension of freedom? No, there are no appropriate occasions for the suspension of freedom. Let us now step down to peacetime. Okay. Would you say, I mean, now before the 14th Amendment incorporated the constitutional rights of the uh, liberties of the, of the Bill of Rights to apply to the states. Yeah. You had laws in all the states, just about all of them, probably not New York, and the Jews weren't even in charge then yet. But a lot of states that prohibited people from blasphemy, holding public office if they weren't uh, Protestants, prohibiting public office to Catholics, all kinds of um, defamation laws that were much more platonic friendly than the world we live in now. I'm not, you know, you're not... I don't want to put you on the spot. You're not the all being of American history. And, uh, but would you say, abstracting from times of war, that before the 14th Amendment, we were less free than we are now or more free than we are now in terms of free? Ex Let's just focus on free expression. Uh, th so there's a complete fallacy, and obviously I'll defer to your knowledge of the legal history uh, gladly, and I'm sure whatever you're saying, I, I would defer to it as, as accurate. There's a complete myth. Um, so, so if you look at the corporate media, we are presented with basically a floating timeline. There, there's a show in Canada called Degrassi. It's a teenage uh, high school drama. And they basically have this floating uh, timeline where like last season, which may have aired two years ago, was like three months ago of whatever current episode is happening. And it just kind of, and the characters end up aging because the actors age, it's a very weird situation. If you look at the corporate media, what is presented as our history is basically a floating timeline. And we only remember like 
20 years ago and everything before that is kind of a fog. It is a complete ahistoric myth that America has had a strong tradition of anything close to a free speech situation. Uh, one of the easiest examples is Margaret Sanger, who is a current you know, villain uh, for many people who are conservatives, who created Planned Parenthood, invented the term birth control to fight abortion, uh, which is something pro-life and pro-choice people don't want to talk about. She got her start because it was a felony for doctors to privately discuss birth control with their clients. This is something because that was regarded as pornography. This is something we can't even wrap our heads around. Moses Harmon, I discussed this in a previous book of mine, The New Right, had a newsletter. And in it, he had a letter that he published from a doctor discussing a patient he had who was a woman who had recently had childbirth and was raped by her husband. And by printing this letter, he was sentenced to hard labor. So we have a very long history in this country, not, not even forgetting wartime censorship, as you well know perfectly well, Ron, and many people might know as well, John Adams was president. The ink wasn't even dry in the Constitution when they passed the Sedition Act, right. which made it a felony to criticize the government and people went to jail. This is something you know we, we can't even wrap our heads around in contemporary times because the mantra always is, well, the one thing the founding fathers wanted to preserve under free speech was political speech. That's the first thing they censored. And this was done under the auspice of the Constitution. So I, I completely- and during, and during the lives of the founding fathers, they were oh, there. Oh yes, they were all there, you know, and some of them didn't like it. Some of them, you know, did like it, but they had the numbers to do it. So this claim that, you know, historically we've been, I, I think freedom uh, is kind of like a sine wave you're gonna have greater amounts of freedom at certain times and it's gonna be lessened in other areas of free speech, but it's not been this continuous you know, arrow uh, just going more and more and more. It's been up and down all over the place um, and with the approval of the populace often. And that's a fantastic point. You, know, you, you use the metaphor of, of a sine wave. We, we often talk about um, the pendulum swinging in one direction or the other. Now, the, the, the problem here is that deciding what the pendulum, what the axes are here, what, what are the pendulums that are swinging is a little bit confusing because we're living in an era of intense, non-governmental, all the thought, non-governmental censorship of expression, which in and of itself is probably relatively unparalleled, even though for all of American history, you could get fired for opening your mouth. Um, and I think actually most people who have a business would want to be able to fire someone who publicly advocated terror, something that you as the business owner considered to be terrible or embarrassing. For sure. And a lot, I sometimes have to remind conservatives that I, I, I was been astonished at how people have been struck by this as, as if it hadn't occurred to them before. Wouldn't you, my, my fellow right-wing uh, fascist, want to be able to fire someone for being a supporter of Antifa? Isn't that something that you want the right, I want to, you, you want to retain the right to do? Well, like, yeah, I guess so. Well, then it's, it's, it's a two-way street. Uh, I am much more of an advocate of freedom of association than I am freedom of speech. I think freedom of speech is one of these uh, very poorly conceived and defined terms that mean different things to different people. 
I do not ever call myself a free speech advocate because of this. Um, and I agree with you completely. If I am running a business, then I have the right to fire anyone who is under my employment at any time, as do they have the right to quit at any time, subject to the contract which they and I, or they and their representatives, or my representatives have mutually agreed to upfront. Uh, I, I also think that something doesn't have to be in a contract to be morally binding. For example, unless your boss is a real jerk or you got some you know really amazing job offer, this happened to me once, uh, you give two weeks notice. It's just, I mean, I think people underestimate um, maybe, and I would be curious to hear the lawyer's perspective on this, people underestimate how much um, social principles are enforced socially as opposed to the state. Uh, tipping your waiters, you know, just another great example. It's not really the law, but there's really approbation if you decide to just kind of stiff that person. Well, that's social fabric. That's, yeah. that's the social fabric, and it's something that I think a lot of libertarians accept as a given, but probably don't pay as much attention to as, as, as you just did. Um, and and it, it's the kind of thing that I'm so glad you brought up the, that, that point. I just, I want to come back to it in a second. Cause I've, I've got, I think a, frankly, a brilliant follow-up on it, but on the pendulum point, I, I often have said that if indeed there's a swing back and forth, first of all, again, we're looking at a different arc. Here we're talking about a private censorship arc. And libertarians also, I think, have a problem acknowledging that you don't have to be in a, a government, it's, you know, we don't need those stinking badges, to be every bit as oppressive and liberty depriving as the most authoritarian government imaginable. I disagree with that completely. I don't think anything Mark Zuckerberg or Jack Dorsey can do is comparable to Stalin or Hitler. Stalin or Hitler? Correct. You just said the most oppressive government imaginable. I, I don't. In terms not, of in terms of expression, there's no. It's not even close. Mark Zuckerberg can't cause harm to my person. He can't starve me. If I'm kicked off Facebook, for you to compare that to the most oppressive government imaginable, I, I can't even wrap my head around this analogy. You're right. It's not the most oppressive government analogy. Uh, uh, imaginable. It's it, it. You can't. You cannot say what I just said as extremely as I just said it. I can say that it is a lack of. That it is a definitely a, a form of repression. And it's a cost. It's an enormous cost. So if you are have a business person and you are deprived of your uh, opportunity to sell your wares on, let's say, eBay Bingo. or use PayPal. I think the more nefarious right. one that you and I should be focusing on and people who are listening to this, is it Mark Zuckerberg or Jack Dorsey, uh, where there's you know alternatives already trying to kind of bubbling up. We're seeing with BitChute and YouTube, for example, the real concern are the banks and the credit card processor. Yes, absolutely. If, I, absolutely. if I'm kicked off of Facebook, it might suck, but there's really, you know, I could have my own website. I could have my own Instagram. These are not ideal to be fair. And this is not something I'm hand-waving away. It's not a concern. They, they need to be addressed and acknowledged and like, all right, what are you guys doing here? You don't get to pick and choose winners and then get government protection and claim that you're just a publisher. But if I can't uh, get payment from Visa or MasterCard or whatever, I'm really SOL. 
And I don't think people understand to what extent they are willing currently to put their finger on the scale. And let me give you a brief example. I am looking right now at a pen holder I bought. The guy who I bought this pen holder from makes, I don't even know what they're called, like the things you attach to gun handles. And so they're decorative, right? Because he doesn't even sell guns. Because he sells things that are used as, as, as perf purely cosmetic, Accessible. It's like the gun equivalent of, of, of operating a head shop. Yeah, yeah, right, exactly. Because of that, he can't use Visa and MasterCard. I had to pay him with either, I don't remember what it was, a check or PayPal. That, rather than, because uh, it's a big difference between I can't, you know, opine on the president as opposed to I can't pay my rent. I mean, if these are the two children. Oh, yeah. you're 100% right. But although what I would say to you, having been in, deep into these cases, is that the distinction might be more uh, conceptual than real because they're working hand in glove and it you know it is there, there's a cascade effect as i've ca called it where once you become a persona non grata um in on a on one or, or more major platforms that in and of itself becomes a rationale to ban you from other ones, including payment platforms. That is, you know, you're, you're bringing that up. That was where I was going, but that's really the point is that, yeah, if you can't meet, you know, Laura Loomer, lover or hater, and, and I a lot of people I know feel one way or the other about her. A lot more people love her than, than, than many of the people who hate her would like to believe. She can't earn a living doing anything now. She is untouchable. And all she ever did was arguably act kind of like a lunatic. Yeah, I, I mean, I don't think Laura's a good example because there's things that she did where, I, you know, I can understand why they wouldn't want her around. So th this is going to be a, a gray area in many cases. But just broadly speaking, the reason I brought up the credit card processors is so much of the uh, volume of discourse uh, both in Washington and on social media is about, you know, what they call big tech censorship and the percentage that's focused on the real villains here, Visa, MasterCard, who are just, these are also villains that ostensibly people on the left, even Elizabeth Warren understands these are not the good guys. Kamala Harris in her book discusses how these are not the good guys. I think that, I think this in many ways, focusing on Zuckerberg uh, is a bit of missing, and I'm not saying you are uh, personally, but I think people are missing the bigger picture because, again, if you go, um, let's suppose you're locked out of Facebook for a month, just innocently, you forget your password or whatever, something like that. Okay, fine. <laughs> if you're locked out of your store and where you're selling things, that I mean, which one of those is much more of an emergency? It's, it's, it's pretty clear to me. Although, again, again, Facebook has become a major economic... Yeah. You know, and you, you and I sell words and ideas, so it's a little harder for us unless we get into it to appreciate that. Yeah. Now, I want to now. I mean, I mean that that's a fantastic point, and and given our lack of, you know, an infinite amount of time, I I want to move from it. But I, your point is extremely well taken. What was it again that I said though that I wanted to pick up on something else that you said? Do you remember? Did anyone remember? Any of my any of my any of my morning zoo guys remember that that hang around with me and and laugh at all my jokes? Do, do you? I assume you have one of those, Michael. I know every time I've been to your place, that you have a bunch of guys who are in charge of reminding you of things. And oh yeah, but I don't I don't ask them for their input. <laughs> 
I don't have anyone, of course, obviously. And, and, and if I mention them on the air, they have to bleep out their names because they don't <laughs> because they don't matter. <laughs> they don't matter. They don't. And I even make them put a little symbol over my mouth so you can't even see what my mouth is saying. <laughs> I'm not kidding. I do all I do it all, baby. You know why? That is the perfect rent seeking. That it's just Yes, sir. You are the human embodiment of Kosa's theory. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> yeah, I'm the living anchovy subsidy. Well, you know, I'll tell you something. I saw noticed on Twitter that somebody was reporting about my 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 firm's uh, website on behalf of Rogan O'Handley, DC Drano on yeah. Instagram. Really super duper important lawsuit um, against Twitter, in which direct government action is not only implicated, but explicitly demonstrated in the pleadings that the state of California, along with the connivance of another, another uh, 22 other states through the National Association of Attorneys General, all Democrats, told Twitter to ban him. So now we're talking about plain old wow. state, state, you know, state censorship. And of course, it has been essential. So we gave a um, an exclusive to Tucker Carlson, which is an extremely reasonable thing to do. Sure. But that combined with the new form of true media censorship, which is to ignore stories that cut against the, the, the narrative, resulted in really a blackout on this lawsuit. Finally, a, one of these newer, and I don't want to pick a fight with the guy, so I'm not going to say the name, I've already picked a fight, but I want to pick a bigger fight. But one of these newer conservative websites, news websites, came out with a story a couple of days later. Conservative man sues Twitter. He's like the new Florida man. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But we're talking about not a conservative man. We're talking about a guy with two million followers on Instagram. He makes, he literally makes a living in a way that few of us could ever dream to from social media. And it, it was conservative, man. I'm, why am I bringing this up? Because it's because of the rent seeking. And as I thought about it, I, I realized they're not going to even give this guy, or as we say in Yiddish, they're not even going to forgive him. They're not even going to grant him the publicity of using his name in the head unless and until they they've got something going with him well can i speak to that because i, I please I, first do of all, first of all i would love to have you on my show in, in uh, sometime next couple of weeks to this few weeks to discuss this case absolutely uh, and, and where things are moving because anything it's rather than work no but it's it, i mean you you joke but uh, i'm not joking okay no no <laughs> but it, it, ron in all seriousness there's there's such a profound disconnect between you know how like uh um uh what was his name who was the guy that obama nominated to the supreme court uh, that was Dio, Merrick Garland. Yeah. You know, the day Obama nominates Merrick Garland and made, basically Mitch McConnell says, we're not going to have hearings this year, we're going to have the election, and everyone on Twitter instantly becomes a Supreme Court expert <laughs> the next day. Right. The same thing, it's like there's a lawsuit and everyone is a First First Amendment attorney. You are a First Amendment attorney. So rather than having all the noise on the internet, I would much rather talk to someone who's in the fray okay. and can actually give us the data about how this actually works and where I think it's going and so on and so forth. So I think that's very, very... Uh, Germain, but what what specifically to that headline? 
what people are increasingly understanding is that corporate media is not there to inform that they're there to train their audience. And they have a technique, which I have a running thread on Twitter about, which I dubbed as an aside. So how it works is whenever they, you know how people read plays, a lot of times in a play before the play even starts, there's a page in the book that has the cast of characters and has a one a sentence fragment or a sentence descriptor of who this is. Mercurio, uh, you know, Romeo's friend who, you know, gets a lot of action, for example, <laughs> right? So what they do though, is when they bring a character onto the screen, they onto the stage, they immediately have a descriptor so the audience's, audience knows whether this is friend or foe. And one egregious example of this was Joe Rogan, for example. So Joe Rogan, if you asked how to, who, if you ask someone, hey, who's Joe Rogan? You would say podcast host. You might say MMA guy. You might say the Fear Factor guy. You might say comedian. Uh, you know, most successful podcaster. The descriptors are uh, that are objective are infinite. Right. The article would say Joe Rogan, comma, who has a history of getting in trouble for homophobic and transphobic jokes, comma, <laughs> you, you laugh, you laugh because it's so heavy handed. Right, but they're but doing it's that. Very, sure. Yeah, it's very clear that from this reporter's perspective, what is most important to the reader when it comes to perceiving this character. And, that, and what's even funnier is they didn't even say homophobic and transphobic comments. They, if I'm remembering this correctly, they specifically said, this guy tells inappropriate jokes and that's what matters about this person. So once you notice that this is what they do, you can't unsee it. And this is another good example. This isn't about someone whose livelihood is possibly taking away. The important thing is to realize he's a member of the conservative tribe and for many people in that audience, I don't need to hear anything else. Oh, a conservative's having a headache? Good, goodbye. And, and that's the end of the thinking on the matter. So these techniques are very yep. pervasive, but I don't think they're very sophisticated. Correct. And once they're pointed out, it be, people just like you, you just laugh. It's like, like, who are you trying to get over here? It's like when you come home and there's a cookie jar on the floor and all the cookies are everywhere and the kid has chocolate on their face. It's like, really? Like, do I need to say anything? It's, it's just like right. everyone knows what's going on here. Uh, so, so perfect, because what you've just now done, besides invite me on to your show, which is the main thing, <laughs> is because we have so much fun, uh, is remind me precisely of the other point that I wanted to get back to, which is, do we learn? And is this, in, in other words, will the sine curve, you know, there, there's often this sense of, it's the end of days. We'll never get out of this one alive. Right. Uh, and when I asked Joe, uh, Jack Posobiec, is there any hope? And he said, sure, listen, I mean, guess what? 70 million people at least did vote for Donald Trump. and the mission of the mainstream media has been to make that number zero, literally. Why are you calling them mainstream? Do you really think their ideology is mainstream? Oh, no, you and I, listen, you, corporate media, I know, we, 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 we've been, uh, it, it's just, uh, that, that, is, that in and of itself is a, is a legacy terminology. You're 100% right, we're gonna call them corporate media. And I had to admit, you and I had a little bit of a, a showdown on Twitter, and you demonstrated that you used the term several months before I did of corporate media. And uh, I had to, I had to, uh, what's the term again? Get to get disbarred. I had to get, I had, well, that's, <laughs> so you're pretty excited about this Rudy, Rudy Giuliani stuff. I think it's time that people who, who 
foster false narratives should lose their ability to uh, to to be licensed for professions. Is that what happened with him? He got disbarred. He was his license was suspended. Oh, today. Wow, I did that, not know that because he made. And you have to read this. I mean, it's phenomenal because they said he that he he made false false statements. There was no possible way this tribunal can be in a position of knowing that the statements were false. Wow. It's just, yeah, I mean, we're living it. it all right, so this goes now back onto the scale of, gosh, is there a way out of this? And I still think the ad, answer is yes. And, so, and to me, one of the one of the most encouraging things that happened, and I have to admit, I kind of lost the track. I kind of lost the thread of how it ended, if it ended at all, was the GameStop moment of a couple sure. months ago where all of a sudden there was like this entire space that had not yet been filled up by the state even in this highly regulated financial sector and it was this really and believe me i don't i had no money involved i don't have any money i my money goes to paying yeshiva tuition yeah. uh, but it was as if there was some light being let into the system. Do you think, you know, Bitcoin is an example. I mean, apparently Bitcoin scares the hell out of the Chinese. Bitcoin and Michael Malice scare the hell out of the Chinese. Well, I, I'm, I would hope more than North Koreans are scared of me because that's who my guns are set for, as, as you know. My upcoming book, which hopefully will be out by the end of the year, is called The White Pill. And it's about the victory of good over evil. And I am. Oh, my gosh. I asked exactly the right question. Yeah, I am. Absolutely. I, I don't understand. Just historically speaking, is there a better symbol of a can I curse? Yes, this is a podcast. Yeah. Is there any? Well, no, sometimes they're rated. So it gets weird, yeah. like YouTube. Yeah. yeah uh, good, fair uh, enough. Yeah. Uh, there, is there any better symbol of an empire in decline? than a president who's literally shitting his pants behind the Resolute desk. I mean, this claim that people like, uh, you know, whatever the latest New York Times apparatchik, Kamala Harris and Joe Biden are going to be tougher adversaries than John Dewey, Woodrow Wilson, Adolf Hitler and Stalin, it, I find mind boggling. <laughs> I, I, and especially because- even, In other words, even more mind boggling than my claim that- the <laughs> that our censorship is as bad as Stalinism. <laughs> yeah, right. But 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 that that's also speaks to the point. There are so many ways for me to get my voice out. Even if let's use an extreme example, I'm banned completely from the internet. I can still get on the phone with you or you know some other attorney and get my message out there. So it's become almost literally impossible to completely censor ideas. And when you are building a narrative that is based on half-truths at best, you know, it's just a, a house of cards. So I am very hopeful for the future of this country. Uh, here's another great example. I'm not a fan of the police, to put it mildly. I have never- they, It's ironic, though, because they love you. I hear them talk about you all the time. They do like me, though. That's what's weird. I was, I was mm -hmm. in Greenpoint, and I get out of the train, and this cop stops me. And he goes, Michael Malice, I'm a big fan. I'm like, but you're a cop. He's like, yeah, I know, but blah, 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 blah. And I'm just like, all right, buddy, whatever. I believe it. I believe uh, it. Oh, it, it, he wasn't the first. He wasn't the first. The, the point is, there are so many mechanisms for us to be able to make ideas heard that I don't 
really see that we're in the weaker position. I, I think a lot of what we, you and I would correctly regard as oppression is there simply as a result of inertia and you know historical reasons, as opposed to if someone came forward and put the idea forth today, they'd be laughed out of town. And not only that, I, I, two things. One is that the more they seek to shut down right. the discussion, the Surprise more frightened, no, we're not there yes. yet, the oh, more sorry. frightened they are. Yeah. And why are they frightened? Because their hold on power is actually far more tenuous than everyone seems to think. They're afraid of exactly, you, you see me Twitter, they're afraid, Twitter fears. I said, whenever, whenever some tweet or some idea or something gets banned, fitter, Twitter. Fido, Lassie, <laughs> they're all, they're afraid. They're, they're afraid and fear is not something that the powerful, that the, that the truly powerful experience. And I, I would say to everyone who's a parent, which I'm not, you try to control that four-year-old, right? Good luck with that. And that's a one-on-one -on -one relationship where you have all the cards. Now, now, when you're an elite, which is let's suppose 1 million people, let's just, let's steel man this argument. Let's suppose that there's 1 million people who work for the state, or let's it's, maybe it's 10 million. You have 10 versus 350. The only way I, I comp I've made this point on other shows, people insist that this is Orwellian and that it's 1984. I always make the point that it's closer to Brave New World by Ad Aldous Huxley. They manipulate not through force, but through pleasure and uh, training you since you're a kid in government schools to behave a certain way. And once, once that's pulled away, they have to resort to the hard authoritarianism, but that is very, very expensive and very hard to implement. And I, mean, I don't mean expensive just financially. I mean, in terms of psychologically, yes. emotionally, efficacy. Uh, uh, they it, spent a tremendous amount of equity yeah. on COVID. Oh, yeah. And the cost, they lost so many true believers. Oh, yeah. Uh, true. true. The, the loyalty of many of them was absolutely confirmed. No question about that. Sure. But there are people who never had reason to doubt the government before. And this is true of the election, too, who will never trust government again. And that is, a, that is the for an anarchist or libertarian, that's the best possible thing you could hear. Because the deference, you know, plain old meat and potato Americans who are think of themselves as loyal, yeah. law-abiding, see things very differently now than they did 18 months ago. Can I give you an, ex I'm going to give you a very dark and depressing example. And one of the reasons why I'm so, con and you know, you're from Cuba, correct? My mother's um, from and, Cuba, yeah. Yeah, yeah, you, your ancestry. I, I was born in the Soviet Union. One of the reasons I am so uh, um, condemnatory of totalitarian regimes isn't simply because they're pure evil, but because they're so um, perverted in their incentives. During the 90s, a famine hit North Korea. This mm -hmm. was a man-made famine. They refused to allow food in because Kim Jong-il, who is the dear leader, said, if we allow the UN or the US to feed our population, then the government becomes superfluous. So they chose to allow one to two million of the population to starve because that otherwise would have been a threat to their uh, a hold on power. What's really, really sick about this is that the honest, decent, trustworthy people were the first ones to starve. The ones who played by the rules, 
who are like, the government has provided for us all our lives. This is just a speed bump. We have to trust that the food distribution system is just having a hang up. It'll be there tomorrow. We're good people and the government is going to provide for us and take care of us. They died. It's the thieves, the cynical ones, uh, you know, the, the ones who are like, this is all crap. I got to look out for number one, who are the ones who made it through that famine. And what we saw last year with COVID is many people who were like, wait, this is being done for the right reasons. Sure, I'm out of work, but I don't want grandma to die. And after a certain point, I have a friend who has a company and her and their company is a dog walking company. They lost literally 100% of their business during COVID. And that you could, I could very easily make the case why that had to happen. And so can you, we, theoretically, that, that's a very easy case to make. Right. But what they learned when this started, uh, the shutdown started being pulled back, talking to people that many normies just regarded it as like, oh, your business was destroyed. Well, too bad. And, and they said to me, I have come to a realization that I have to live in a society where 90% of the population thinks me being sacrificed is perfectly acceptable. And I think when people realize that that's what they're up against, maybe it's not a nice feeling, but in my view, and I'm sure- It's liberating. Yeah, once you come from a place of truth, you know, like, okay, I can't breathe on the moon. Okay, if I'm gonna get to the moon, I have to have mechanisms to provide oxygen for my system. Okay, I live in a country or a world where 90% of people don't care if I die to further their agenda. Now let's take steps from here, because that is the reality, and figure out how to get to a place where I like, as opposed to tilting at windmills, thinking I'm going to persuade those 90% of people that I matter, because even they don't matter to themselves. Even they don't matter to themselves. And how do we know? Because, they're, because they, they roll over yes. gladly, proudly. It's their profile pick. Right. It's, it's their it's, boast. It's really something. I mean, I mean just, you know, we talk a lot about the the um, polarization of our society, but it, what we're really doing is finding out here who's who gets it and who doesn't get it. There is a great quote from Mencken, which I say I feel like daily now: "The average man does not want to be free; he simply wants to be safe." And when you understand, and that's, a, you know what, that's not a bad choice. You know what I mean? Like if my it's choice entirely is entirely rational. Yeah. Yeah. If I'm free, I'm really going to make bad choices. I don't have the capacity. Like if I, I'm not a wine person, you put me in a wine store, I, I guess I'd go by price, but even then I'm not going to be <laughs> making good choices. Right. I have no other metric as opposed to, I call a sommelier, tell me what to buy. And I just obey, obey orders. That was, that's a perfectly rational choice in that there's lots of people who are like, I don't want to make these decisions. Just tell me where to go. I'll do my job. I come home. I have a nice house, lovely wife. I have a couple of kids. I watch these, you know, Fakakta TV shows. I've done my part and I'm being provided for. That's their bargain. Guess and what? I think that's, yeah. Go ahead. You're describing something. Now, talk about censorship. Any bad word you, you use is nothing compared to what I'm about to say. Feminization of the American male. Women are motivated appropriately given their roles as bearers and, and rearers of children to value security over things such as freedom. And this is the source of lots of marital tension, or it was until the men in this country became women. And that's where we are now. 
And it doesn't even matter that, gosh, the women are voting and look who they would vote for. The men are women. The men are voting like women, too. They're offended by the masculinity of Donald Trump. He's, why does he have to be such a man? I'm not endorsing the, you know, some of the more manly aspects of his life story, you know, the serial adultery and that sort of thing. But, you know, for a man to pretend, unless he's, you know, perhaps a clergyman or something, that he is offended by that in the way that a typical you know, that a that a wife that a, is going to be offended by that, you know, is a, is a phenomenal societal development, and 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 what we see is this, you know, this so many things follow from that. Security also implies, uh, you know, prioritizing security also implies prioritizing conformance because it's always safer to be one of the pack than to stick out. Absolutely. And that's why it's really fun on social media sometimes to when I find one of these pack animals and I call them out, they really to, to mix metaphors, they void their bowels and release their squid ink and, <laughs> and panic because their bargain was I'm going to go on here and bleat like all my other fellow tribesmen, whatever tribe they happen to be in. But now that I've been pulled from the pack and I'm against what I perceive to be a predator. I didn't sign up for this and I don't know what to do. Oh, this is so, Michael, we, are, we just are such, we are such kindred spirits because sometimes I, I will look in a thread, an action thread and look exactly for that guy. Yeah. And, and someone say to me, why are you bothering with this guy? Say, you don't understand, this has nothing to do with this guy. Right. I have 130,000 people who are wondering how do they deal with this guy in their, right. in their lives. And I happen to have been given by God the gift of beating up without my hands, beating up people like this and making them show the foolishness of the positions and the, not only their positions, but the position they put everyone else in. But it's also not just foolishness, it's literal mindlessness. Yeah. This person got a menu of choices. They, you know, there, there's this t-shirt this and sign I saw in stores that says, you know, the signs are settled, Black Lives Matter, climate change is real, and there's like a bunch of talking points. Yeah. And people wear these shirts proudly. And I'm like, do you not see anything odd that your entire menu of political choices is verbatim that of every corporation in America? Do you not at really all. do you not really think that all. wait a minute, did I make a misstep here somewhere where nothing I say is even slightly one standard deviation from you know elevator banter? And they don't ever for a second. Nope. That's where we are, but that's not what this has been. Not on the culmination. That's why I killed podcasting with the culmination. I culminated. Oh, culmination. I just got it. Okay. Oh, man. If Michael Malice just, got it. just, got, just it. got it. Oh, I just got it. This is terrible. Michael, it is terrible. A, yeah, but then again, you didn't think about culmination for like more than two seconds until about like today. So that's okay. Michael, that's it. We, we It's too long already. Most of the midwits who are listening gave up a long time ago. Your people are going to contact my people. I'll go on the show. We'll have a, 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 a with the you know with the makeup and everything. It'll be it'll be marvelous. Thank you so much for taking time out. You and I got to hang out more, and um, I can't wait to hear about your new book and uh, you know and announce our eventual um, engagement. Uh, I hear wedding bells. <laughs> <laughs> All right, buddy. Thanks for everything. Thank you. Hey, thank you for listening to the Coleman Nation podcast. 
Don't forget to subscribe on Apple Podcasts or your favorite podcast app. If you like the show, please rate it five stars and leave a review. For more information, please visit the show's website at coleman-nation.com. That's coleman-nation.com. Or you can visit my blog at likelihoodofconfusion.com. Join us next time on the Coleman Nation podcast and have a great day.